Beyond the Ball, fueling your faith and family through sport. Welcome to the Beyond the Ball podcast with Coach Eric Klump and Coach Justin Gersten. Hoopheads Nation, we appreciate you listening to this episode of Beyond the Ball. Be sure to check out these other basketball shows on the Hoopheads Podcast Network, including Thrive with Trevor Huffman, the CoachMaze.com podcast, Players Court, Bleachers and Boards, and the Green Light. If you're an NBA fan, explore our team-focused NBA pods, Cavaliers Central, 305 Culture, Knuck If You Buck, Blazing the Path, Motor City Hoops, Spanning the Spurs, LA Hoops, X's and O's NBA Breakdown, Hashtag Lakers, The Wizards Hoops Analyst, and At The Buzzer. Oh, and don't forget to check out our flagship, the Hoopheads Podcast, hosted by me, Mike Cleansing, and my co-host, Jason Sunkel, featuring the best minds in the game, from grassroots to the NBA. All right, guys, welcome back to the Beyond the Ball Podcast. Uh, I got a little pep in my step tonight, Coach. A little pep you and in I my both. step. You and I both. Big news last Friday, huh? Absolutely. Why don't you share? Why don't you share with our listeners why we're so excited? Well, um, us here in the New York area have been um, sitting on our hands waiting for the governor to give the AOK for what they call high-risk sports to get up and going. And on Friday, they lifted that, and now they're just it's up to the um, athletic associations of the state and the sections to come up with playing protocol. And so we're anxiously waiting. But um, for our student athletes, they are extremely excited. Extremely excited. And I think we are excited as well. You know, we started this yeah. passion project back when we were, you know, at a loss. We couldn't work with our teams. Everybody right. was shut indoors. And, you know, we were just talking off air about how many episodes we put in just talking about this point right now. And so right. we had no idea. <laughs> we couldn't even guesstimate uh, when we would begin. And now here we are. And now here we are. So by the time this drops, we'll probably be playing our first game of the season, either that night or that day or the following day. And uh, I just honestly can't wait to, you know, get back in the gym with my guys. I texted them yesterday to start their registration process so we were ready to go come monday and uh they're definitely super duper excited so i am as well but that's kind of where we're at on the downer note everybody hmm. knows that listens to our podcast that we are 716 through and yes. through buffalo bills fans and uh we kind of got it handed to us a little bit in the championship game. What was your takeaway on that? Um, my takeaway is that um, their big-time playmakers made big-time plays all game long. Um, Tyreek Hill was amazing. Travis Kelsey was unstoppable. And they do a great job of scheming different plays to get the ball in their hands. And when they did, they certainly uh, took it to us. So um, I, I certainly believe the better team won. But uh, hats off to our Buffalo Bills for for providing that environment and that enthusiasm to us as fans throughout here because it has been a rough 2020. Yeah, rough 2020, but you're right. It's been a nice distraction. I actually kind of felt what it was like to lose. <laughs> we The Bills had knocked off so many games in a row. Mm-hmm. Um, I got done and I was like, oh, that's that's what that feeling is. I mean, it's... It was kind of nice getting back into it. And I've been pretty calm, pretty steady throughout this entire season, just kind of letting the positive momentum build. But 
Kansas City game, man, I was living and dying with every play. I thought I was 12 yeah, years old. It was again. intense. And, you know, halfway through that second quarter where they got the ball three straight times and we just had no answers for them, you had the feeling that it was going to be a big time Kansas City Chief game. Yeah. And, you know, like you said, players make plays and they had a couple in there where Hill made a couple plays and, um, the, the receiver that muffed the punt there came yeah. back and had a strong – his name escapes me right now, but uh, had a couple of really strong plays. And that's maybe going to lead me into my coaching nugget as we get started here is that we always need to remember it's about the Jimmy and the Joes, you know, not the X's and the O's. But I think if you're a coach, you always have to try to find a way to scheme up something creative – when you are maybe outmatched on the talent end. And so maybe that's my nugget if I want to change gears, shift gears here for us is watching that and trying to learn from the Bills. Like it was, it's hard to change what you do and be okay with that. And that's one of the things I maybe saw with the Bills. They were super aggressive all year on like fourth downs and trying to score touchdowns. And it appeared that they got a little conservative and got out of what they normally do. You felt they changed their identity? Just a little bit, just a little bit. And I, I understand it as a coach. I mean, we, I think if you've coached for a while, we all understand that sometimes you're, you see this opponent that you're going up against and you might feel like you might not have answers. I know I felt that way with my teams against your team sometimes and other teams in our league. And it's hard to change your identity and be successful, but it's always that, you know, that catch 22 of do we do what we've always done mm-hmm. and, and live with the outcome? Or do you try to scheme something up and, you know, throw throw a different technique at them? And so, I don't know, just I don't know the right answer to that. I just know you got to be reflective about it and make sure that your players are, are ready to execute when the time is right. Yeah, that's so. a great point. And it brings out the beauty in basketball, especially with a shot clock, you know, there's so much you can do, especially if you're the better team. And there's also a lot of different uh, variances that you can wrinkle up in the game, muck it up, I guess you could say, um, to keep it close and to limit possessions if you feel that your team isn't as talented as the other. Um, so I love I love that coaching nugget. Yeah, I appreciate it. What do, you, do you have one for us as we were getting yeah, ready to get um, this season you know, started? You know, so many people are posting on social media about these students needing, these student athletes needing this for their mental health, and I completely agree. And I just want those those young coaches out there chasing the wins to know that your players really don't care about how much you know. I mean, they, they love that you're a knowledgeable coach, but once they figure out how much you care about them, uh, that's what really matters. So throw some smiles on their faces. Make it extremely enjoyable uh, for them this year. The game should be enjoyable and do it as a team, and it will feel so much more enjoyable. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'll am gonna. i jump on with that. I had that conversation with our coaching staff today about just um, understanding that we all need to pull in the right direction, pull in the same direction, not just with your players, but as a coaching staff. And that most of these kids are just excited to have an opportunity to play. Mm-hmm. You know, most of our state championships are canceled. Um, and so we're just getting the opportunity to get out and compete and kind of get back to the natural, you know, just sports for the pure joy of sports kind of mentality. Yeah, embrace the moment. And just embrace the moment. And I think coaches, if if some of them could understand that it's, you know, that 
the X's and O's, the wins and the losses are would be nice. Uh, and you definitely need some X's and O's, but um, just getting these kids mentally ready to go and encourage them and, and get them back in the groove is the biggest thing. So, yeah, I love that coaching nugget well as well. So we got a pretty uh, faithful guest with us tonight. And so why don't you kind of transition us with a little bit of the word? Yeah, let's do it. Revelations 21, 6 and 7. And and I, I certainly needed this with everything that's going on. And a lot of the, the scripture bring, really brings me um, back to heart when I sit down and I, and I you know, get that daily prime. Um, and it's 6 and 7. It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all of this. And I will be their God, and they will be my children. And I know you said this on the podcast. We talked a little coaching nugget about making the main thing the main thing. Well, that's certainly the main thing right there. Yeah, I would um, echo that 100%. I think this last week, you know, to tie it all together for me and how I kind of try to implement this into the way I live my life is it's been a very stressful week um, for coaches and, you know, people like myself in more of a leadership role, at least in this time of my life. And I have found myself extremely stressed out, um, catching only a couple hours of sleep the last couple nights, which we know from talking with coach Sam Allen and, you know, doing the PGC thing, you got to protect your rest. But um, I have definitely not had that piece. And I think when you dial it back and really get into the word and understand that it's just part of a bigger picture and everything's going to work out, you can kind of relax. And so I've needed that a little bit this week as well. Uh, not that you can just shut your brain off at any old time, but um, that those are some actually really powerful words. And hopefully tonight I can get some rest because I think we have a pretty good grasp on where the next eight weeks are going to head, you know, obviously things are going to pop up, but just staying reflective, you know, just staying reflective in that word is going to bring me some peace. Keeping them safe moving forward and knowing yeah. that um, it, when the game is done, we're all going to be children in the most majestic place that we, we can't even imagine. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so good, Coach. I appreciate that. But um, we're going to get after it right now with Coach. And so we're going to just break for a second. When we come back, we'll have Coach Tony Miller. Hey, hoopheads. We all hate ankle sprains, and they happen way too often. Ankle injuries are the number one sports-related injury. Arise is trying to change that. With the iFast, your athletes get preventative protection and full mobility. Athletes no longer need to wear bulky braces that limit performance and give mediocre protection. Anyone playing sports should be using these products. Keep your athletes in the game. Don't wait for them to get hurt to take action. Visit www.arise.com. Spelled A-R-Y-S-E. And use the code HOOPHEADS to get 20% off the future of performance. That's A-R-Y-S-E dot com with promo code HOOPHEADS to get 20% off. All right, guys, welcome back to the Beyond the Ball podcast. We are joined tonight by Coach Tony Miller. Coach, how are you doing? Doing well. Thanks for having me on, guys. Oh, absolutely. 
All right, Coach. Again, thanks for coming on Beyond the Ball podcast here. It's, it's a pleasure to have you. Um, you know, just reading through your bio, you're a professor at uh, Bob Jones University and you teach several courses. You're also the pool supervisor for the school's aquatics and assistant coach for the basketball team, a wife with two kids. Now, J- Justin usually asks this question, but I'm dying to know, how do you find time to balance it all? Uh, that is the million dollar question. I don't know if I do it all well. And actually, we just a week ago today had our third child. So now it's even oh, bigger. Oh, congratulations. And if by chance anybody hears some crying in the background, it's around bedtime when we're recording this. So it's a little chaotic sometimes. But um, I, I think probably one of the things that uh, when people have asked, asked that, the the main thing that I've said is just, I think, just maximizing your time. Um, people probably have more time in their day than they actually realize. And, you know, the amount of time, I think we all know that we either waste on social media or doing whatever it is that, you know, you you find time to do what you enjoy to do. And I've tried to maximize that. So, you know, I don't I don't know that I necessarily do uh, do everything great all the time, but I do enjoy what I do and I enjoy the variety and um, it keeps me uh, keeps me going each day. So. I think just the balance of, uh, of just finding the things that you enjoy to do. I think it's maybe something else that I don't know necessarily people always do. They usually have some things in their, their life that they don't like to do. And I know that that sometimes is unavoidable. But um, I've been blessed to be able to do a lot of things that I love to do. And I primarily do just those things. So it may sound really busy, but um, you know, I feel like I'm kind of in a groove now. And uh, yeah, I enjoy it. So. Coach, I think that may be one of the most insightful answers we've had on this pod because I, like you, have some children. Uh, We have four of them in my house. I, too, coach. I, too, teach. I also do a little bit of of administrative work right now, at least on an interim basis. And I think that, like you said, finding a balance and maximizing your time is so crucial. And for me, in my world with my wife, it's constantly a communication thing like, as long as we know what's coming, we can kind of deal with it and figure it out. And I agree, like as long as you're doing something that you enjoy doing, um, you, you don't really think about it as being stressful. Is right. that what you found with, you know, your family is, is having those those care, communication uh, issues down and making sure you're on the right on the right wavelength? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I would even say that the number one thing is you just talked about your wife. My wife has been super supportive about things. Um, you know, it's it's kind of our thing. It's not my thing. And she just kind of goes along with it. You know, whether that big you, you guys understand this and those that are listening coaches and the amount of time that it takes that takes up preparing, you know, not just at practices, not just going to away games. You know, as a college coach, we're not just traveling 30 minutes away or an hour away. There's sometimes we're traveling six, seven hours away. And we've been fortunate. We've been blessed. A lot of those, especially early on when we just had one or two kids, like she she would come come along and and bring, uh, you know, my infant son at the time. And so we we would go and do things together. And that's something that, you know, we can maybe get into a little bit later. But it, it really has become my career is not just my career. It's kind of our family's career. Uh, we've been fortunate and blessed that she doesn't have to work. That's kind of a decision that we made, but we thought was really important for for our family, um, for her to stay with the kids and, and to be with them. And so I've been I've been again blessed to to be able to do these things that I enjoy. But it's not she doesn't just send me off at the start of the day. Um, you know, even coaching, uh, I had this conversation with my players the other day. But you know, I think sometimes we think of us impacting the players. 
But one of the things that I told my players the other day is that, that they are impacting me and my family as well. And so they play a really key role in, you know, with, with my kids, you know, even just interacting with them or when they come up to practice, hanging out with them. There's a, there's a video on, on my, uh, out on the internet somewhere. I think it's on my Twitter account, but, uh, one of the boys is like, my, my son found the, the, um, the roller. And so he's like rolling hmm. on the side and yeah. one of the boys is helping him roll and stretch out and that kind of thing. It's just, it just kind of exemplifies how, how the players have invested in, in my family and, you know, how we're invest, investing in them and it is kind of a whole family affair. So, you know, I would say just uh, advice for for young coaches, especially, I think sometimes we think of the work-life balance as those things are opposite and I, I do one and then I go do the other. And I've tried to be really intentional about doing both at the same time. Uh, my parents did a really great job of that, not in the sports realm, but in a different realm with me when I was younger. And so the, the jobs and the, the responsibilities that they had uh, me and my sister, we just we tagged along, and it was kind of like our whole family's uh, our whole family's thing. Um, you know, if it was something at church, it was our family's ministry. And so I, I've kind of had wanted to do the same thing with my family as well. And so far, it's been good. But like I said, we're early on with young kids, and we'll see how it how it kind of translates over the years here. Yeah, it's got to be such a cool thing um, watching your kids interact with the athletes. Just talk about that as a father and a husband and just seeing your kids being able to almost use it as like their own little playground there in the gym and making those connections with the athletes. Yeah, obviously. I mean, like any kid, they love going up to the gym and playing and you know, they'll be playing on the sides. And when we go on trips, they like to sit with the with the guys sometimes and ride with them in the bus seats and that sort of thing. But, you know, again, I think it's just – being being open and honest with um, with your w- wife early on to what we're what we're wanting to do and what I want our family to do and her, you know, not just kind of being going along with it, but like her really buying into that as well. Um, and then and then the players for for me, it's been interesting at becoming a father because when I started out, I was single, and so I've kind of gone through getting married and having kids over the course of these last nine years and. You know, I, I look at things a whole lot differently. I think about the the young men that I have a whole lot differently because I think about my own son and how I would want to coach treating them. And uh, in addition to that, you know, the the impact that hopefully I'm making on their lives, I, I know the fact that I, I'm hoping that maybe some of them will be making on my son when he ends up playing someday in the event that one of them becomes his coach or whatever. So, yeah, I mean, it's it kind of goes to my whole my whole personal philosophy on things. Um, you know, there's a, there's a scripture verse that paraphrasing it says, uh, you know, I'm attempting to teach the next generation, the next young men so that they can become faithful followers and they can pass it on to the next group as well. And as I've gotten a little bit older, the kind of like that word, the, the word legacy that we think of it and what it actually means kind of passing on what you know to the next generation so that can be passed down. And so, I'm trying to, you start approaching middle life and start having kids and you start thinking about things differently. And that's one of the things that um, I've really thought a lot about and I want to continue to get better at doing. Yeah, coach, I think, you know, I'm, I just turned 41 last week and I think that what you said there is super powerful. When I was a early, early bird on the block coaching circuit, I was like 25 years old and that relationship with my first couple teams was more like a big brother, you know, and now it's more like a fatherly figure. And I think that that was a, that was a difficult transition for me 
to make um, because I didn't know really what the dynamic of that was. But as I've grown with my kids, you're right. As your kids grow and you adapt and you figure out what they need and how you should be interacting with your own children, it changes how you coach as well. So um, it's it's a really powerful, powerful statement. So you talked about your family and kind of tagging along and, and doing family stuff, whether it, go, whether it was going to church or whatever. How is that? How did that get you, your upbringing? What kind of life experience did you have that got you to where you are today? Um, college professor, into sports, like what was that path for you? Both of my parents were teachers and I, I think I was just kind of destined to be that, you know, spending time at school, not just during the school day, but after the school day's over, waiting for them to, to leave. Uh, anybody that's been a son or a daughter of a parent or of a teacher kind of knows that life. And so we were around with that. We were around for the sports afterwards. Funny thing, like my my dad is not athletic at all. I kind of skipped generations. Like my <laughs> grandfather was really athletic and, you know, was built about my size and was a point guard and played in high school and won, won championships and that kind of thing. But then my dad got no athleticism whatsoever. <laughs> but I will say this for my father. He's I mean, he's my hero. And it, it's really a large part of it is because he has always been extremely, extremely encouraging and, you know, really allowed me to develop the skills and the gifts and the passions that I've had and has encouraged me with those. And, you know, I know maybe some you had parents that weren't athletic. And so you went to the away games, my dad and my mom, but especially my dad, he, he came to, I can probably count on one hand, the amount of games over the course of who knows how many years that he missed. And, you know, that was really huge for me was just him allowing me to continue, continue doing the things that I enjoyed. And sure, he made me do some other things. He was more uh, um, musically inclined and fine arts inclined. And he, he made me do those things. And I participated in those things, which I think is another thing, maybe probably not for this discussion, but just kind of being well-rounded. But over the course of time, he allowed me to pursue my passions and my interests. And so what I am today is in large part because of the things that he did encourage me or both of my parents really encouraged me in, but also allowed me to grow in and saw that I was, um, you know, interested in athletics. And, you know, we talk about a lot of times we, we, we make sure that the kids that are playing sports know that that's not going to last forever, but it, it, it can for a unique group like myself that you're able to be a coach or you're able to be a teacher and, and teach those things to the next group. And, you know, I was even thinking about it today at practice, the thought entered, entered my mind that I'm standing there at practice and, there are mo- there are a lot of days where I don't even touch a basketball. You know, I've got managers and the players touch basketballs, but just being in the gym, I think coaches know that. But like being in the gym around the game, you know, th- I'm doing what I love long after when most people hang things up and and don't participate in basketball anymore. So, yeah, it, it's been fun the the journey, and I credit a large part of that to my parents and their upbringing and kind of what they allowed me to do and what they encouraged me to do and just them being encouraging to me to pursue my passions. It's just an incredible story and the perspective that you have is certainly eye-opening. And a lot of coaches that come on here that we're talking about um, sometimes hit that valley of despair. They've been working, sending out applications, trying to get a job anywhere and just get their foot in the door. And they they got caught in that – uh, again, Valley of Despair, where they, they felt maybe this wasn't going to work out for them. But it seems like uh, it was a, a great transition for you. 
Yeah. So, I mean, without telling my entire story, it, it really has just been kind of God leading the, the next step and the next step and the next step. And there, there is a verse that says the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And, it, and for me, it was really just doing the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. We were talking about this before we got on here. But when I started teaching at the university, they didn't even have intercollegiate sports. And so that really wasn't even in my mind. I wanted to coach. And ultimately, I actually wanted to coach in high school and be a high school athletic director and basketball coach and teach in the school. But obviously, other plans uh, stayed at the university. After about five years there at the university, they decided that they were going to start intercollegiate sports. I was just finishing up a uh, a degree and I needed to do an internship. And so I was, I got on as the director of ops and then that kind of quickly tr- transformed into a volunteer position. And then now I'm the assistant coach there. I, I never really forced uh, a situation. Um, I didn't intend to network, but essentially that's kind of what got me the job and, and how I connected with people. And there's even some more stories behind that, but you know, I think I think we hear the term networking, especially those of us that are in coaching. And you think networking, a lot of time young people will think that networking is introducing to yourself to as many people as possible with hopes that that person can get you a job someday. And I've never really had that. Uh, you know, I, I've, I've tried to actually connect with people and, um, you know, build real relationships with them. And it's benefited me. And it, I didn't have it. I wasn't trying to force that or manipulate that. But it is true that, you know, you you really invest in people and good things do happen. It's just how things work. So I've been very fortunate um, and I'm, I'm thankful for the for the the different paths that God's put me on and where I am today. Yeah. So he's just planted you and you, you just continue to water it. Yeah, I think a lot of it is just kind of just being faithful in the stuff that's given to you. Um, and that really should go for anybody. Do the job that's in front of you. Um, do it with all of your heart. Colossians 3.23 is, part, is is a key with that, just doing things heartily and doing things well, doing things with excellence um, and, and working hard. And I think that people are blessed. That's kind of been a, a cornerstone for me. I'm a big John Wooden guy. That's kind of how I got into basketball. And there's a story behind that as well. But I think those of us that know his pyramid of success, the, the, the foundation, the cornerstone is industriousness. And that, that's hard work. And I, I think that it doesn't matter if you're talking about basketball or any kind of job, being an accountant, uh, running your own business, the cornerstone is going to be hard work. And so for this this group, um, this next generation, I think that's something that we need to make sure as coaches that we're communicating to our players and making sure that they understand that things, good things happen when you work hard. Um, there's, there's no real easy way around it. So um, yeah, hard work has kind of been a, a pillar for me. Hard work works. And I, Coach, I just want to elaborate on what you said earlier, passing on the information as like a ripple effect to serve others. And uh, I noticed that you, you teach uh, several subjects at Bob Jones. Is there one in particular? Like I know for me, I, I teach health and I get really excited to pass on nutritional notes that, you know, you might not see um, on the television and the students are kind of like wowed by it. But uh, is there anything for you that you get really excited to teach and to pass along? Yeah, probably no surprise, but we actually just started about a year and a half ago, maybe close to two years ago, a master's program at the university. And it's an online master's program in athletic administration and coaching. And I'm in charge of the coaching, the, the basketball coaching course. I teach that as an undergraduate course. Um, there's a sport administration and leadership course that I take. 
And so, you know, for me, I think a lot of times, again, younger coaches may think basketball is primarily X's and O's. And I think the us older coaches know that that's a very small part of it. Um, that's the fun part, drawing up the plays and running the different um, drills and that kind of thing. But people and leadership and um, managing things and logistics, I think, us again, us older coaches know that's typically what you spend most of your day doing. Um, and so from that perspective, <clears throat> I do love teaching X's and O's to, to players and and students in my class, but also the impacting others and helping them understand that they have the ability to impact others is, is a big deal. I think for us as coaches too, our head coach talks a lot about this and just something that I would encourage people to think about. Uh, let's just talk about basketball. So let's say that you have 12 people on your team and you impact those 12 and those 12 impact 12 more and so on and so forth. You're quickly approaching thousands and hundreds of thousands of people that you could impact if you you take the time to invest in those 12 people. So whether that's the 12 students in my class or 12 players on my team, just trying to pass on fundamental things, culture, leadership, <clears throat> loving others, serving others. Uh, it can quickly have a long-lasting effect if you take the time to invest in people. Yeah, so Coach, I would love to dive in if, if you wouldn't mind this investing in people. As Coach and I were prepping to have a conversation with you, we also see that I see that you you also have a class in social media and sports and dealing with social media with athletes, I'm sure comes up in as part of that. Do you see that is a challenge to this younger generation. I know we're talking about industriousness and um, being a cornerstone and a pillar. What are some of the challenges, maybe even including how kids handle social media these days? What are some of the things that you are trying to service your athletes in to make them more prepared for the world that's that's waiting for them? Yeah, I'm, I do teach a class. It's called Social Media in Sports, and uh, I Oftentimes, the students will come in and think that they're going to learn more about, you know, how to up their Instagram game or their <laughs> game or something like that. And, and I tell them the first day, yeah, I'll help you with that when we get down the down the road a little bit. But the first actually lesson that I start on is using social media for your own personal brand. And there is kind of especially, you know, this day and age, we we um, people that post a lot on social media, we either think that a they're either crazy. <laughs> or they're just kind of like pushing themselves constantly and they're probably egotistical and whatnot. I, I have a different view about it, um, especially for, for younger people. I tell them that basically you are a professional now. It doesn't matter that you're still in college, that you're still working your way through college. You have to start thinking about yourself as being a professional now because the not just the classes that you go to, I think a lot of times education, especially at the collegiate level, is kind of getting a knock because people are saying, well, I can learn these skills not going to college and not, you know, amassing a huge amount of debt. And I, I understand that. I'm not knocking that at all. But college should be viewed more than just going to going to classes. It should be, you know, making building relationships with the people sitting next to them. It should be building relationships with their professors. It should be doing internships in the summer times where you're continuing to build relationships because you're really on already on your path to becoming a professional in whatever job that you're talking about. And I, social media, to answer your question, social media can be used as a platform to help further that. Um, one of the ways in which I use social media, I, I'm very active on social media. 
Um, part of the reason I am is so that I can have examples to use in my class. I will frequently stand up in front of class and say, hey, I, did, I actually did this. There was one time this semester we were talking beforehand as well about some of our some of the sponsors of this podcast. Well, I had been interacting with a sponsor and negotiating a deal with them uh, on a like a Monday night. The next morning, Tuesday morning in class, I stood up in front of the class and told them, hey, last night I negotiated this. This is what it looks like. This is how you do it. So it, it kind of just gives me an opportunity to to work through things and then to give them examples. And for them, what I want them to see is you can use social media as a platform. I think the the big thing that, that people don't really necessarily have, understand about social media is that it really is about attention. I'm trying to get people's attention to show them the kinds of things that I know or to connect with people. That can be extremely powerful because once you have people's attention, you can then start communicating whatever your message is. And so for me, the things that you just mentioned that I that are important to me, you know, I, I really don't care how many followers I have. The thing that I care about is that I have people's attention that I'm able to now communicate messages to and hopefully impact them for the positive, whether that's helping increase their basketball knowledge or learn more right now. I'm I'm going through this myself, but we're recruiting players and I'm trying to get them to understand <clears throat> you're about to make a decision which could be significantly impact the rest of your life. Don't make the decision to go to a college just because they have a good basketball team or because something connected to basketball, you're going to be impacted by your coach and your peers and the school and the things that they're teaching you. And they better align with the things that your parents have been teaching you. And so whatever my message is, the, the, benefit of social media is it's a platform. It should be used as a tool to communicate whatever it is that you're wanting to communicate with others. And hopefully those are positive things that will help encourage other people and influence them for good. Man, I think if you can get that information into the minds of these younger kids, we coach Clump and I talk all the time about, you know, our, our he coaches at the high school level. I coach and teach at the middle school level and those conversations are so powerful, I think, with my own kids, with the kids that I teach. I mean, even us here doing this podcast with you is not happening unless we have social media, right? right. And so that's been the biggest thing for Eric and I, you know, two, I would call us two old guys that are like trying this new endeavor and trying to get outside our comfort zone using this not for like you said we don't i think we well, eric what do we what have we made like three bucks a piece since we started like it's <laughs> not to make money it's totally just to kind of get what we believe our important messages out and to chat it up with yeah, people to use this that platform we, to serve yeah absolutely i think that's such a such a crucial message so in this journey into getting into bob jones um what kind of brought you to there, how did you end up there specifically? Because I feel like it, it, it's been God's God's plan to get you there, but obviously you had to do a little bit of work yourself. So how did that actually go about? Sure, it's not extremely exciting, but it is kind of uh, somewhat humorous. I also teach, <clears throat> you know, social media. A large part of it is just, I mean, it's marketing. Uh, I teach the sports marketing class, and really love sports marketing. Um, how that applies to my story is there is a picture of me at about three years old wearing a Bob Jones University shirt. I'm not really sure where I got it, but when it came time to go to college, I, I didn't even think about going anywhere else. Like I was just going to go to Bob Jones. Um, there is a marketing uh, marketing lesson to be learned behind that. If you can get 
if you can get to kids when they're three, four, five years old, you pretty much have them forever. So, um, <clears throat> you know, for me, again, it was just kind of like God leading next step, next step, next step. Um, I didn't go to college. So I, I played basketball in high school and was pretty, did, did well. Um, but I didn't go to college to play basketball, which is even kind of ironic in how I am now a college basketball coach, having not played college basketball. Um, but my, my journey just has been very, somewhat very boring. I mean, it was just kind of like just the next thing. It wasn't like big and wow. But if you look back on it, it is pretty impressive. Just again, the way that God led, not necessarily anything that I did. Um, because if you looked back at it, you would just think, huh, wow, that was a neat coincidence. But once you get to about the 30th or 35th coincidence, it's probably not a coincidence. So as you're there, um, were you regretting not playing in, at the college level? Or, I mean, when you're getting into coaching, is it just something, the, the game of basketball, you just always gravitated to it? Yeah, I think it was just, I, I started with baseball early on, um, but quickly switched over to basketball probably when I was in about sixth grade <clears throat> and then just played through middle school and high school. And, you know, again, no real aspirations. I mean, when you're five foot 10 and 100 and 130 pounds, you the writings on the wall, you're probably not going to be a professional basketball player. So um, I, I didn't have any aspirations of playing past past college or even past high school. <clears throat> it was something that I wanted to coach. And, uh, you know, so for me, it was just learning as much as I could. And that's kind of been my MO since I was in high school and college is just learning, being a continual learner and learning as much as I can about the game. And <clears throat> again, just trying to latch on to people or be around people that could teach me as much as I, I could know, learn about it. So yeah, it wasn't necessarily playing it. It was just being around the game and loving the game that kind of uh, pushed me along. And can you share with our audience, like, where, where are some go-to places for you, Coach Miller? Like, where do you go for your information or, like, some mentors for you? Yeah, I mean, early on for me, I, I didn't really have a ton of strong coaches in my life. And obviously, when you're not playing college basketball, you don't have that college coach to look up to. So, I mentioned it before, but it was – my uncle up was from up in Indiana, went to Purdue. So, obviously, he was just kind of naturally a John Wooden guy. And so, he would – buy me the books and <clears throat> send me the quotes. And so I read every John Wooden book available. Um, we moved to North Carolina and this will probably offend some of your listeners are going to turn it off. But then I became a Coach K fan and learned as much as I could about, you know, what he does there and that kind of thing. So obviously his influences with Bobby Knight, I was, I had basically all the, all the key college coaches. And so I guess it was, it's not very surprising that I'm in college basketball now just because so much of my learning came from college coaches. Um, you know, and then as far as far as now, I, I will learn from anybody. I'm, I'm open to learning from everybody, which again, I think is, <clears throat> is good because you're able to diversify your knowledge and learn from different types of people that way. And so it's just kind of who I've always been. I think coach, what you say there is great. And I'm, I'm actually sitting here. I keep shaking my head because a lot of what you say is very similar to just my story as well. I mean, I don't coach at the collegiate level, but every situation that I've experienced has not been like, Hey, I'm going to do this next. And this was the goal. It's just kind of been, what's the next thing to do and, and do it as well as possible right down to reading the coach K books and the John Wooden books. And I think getting outside of your comfort zone and you recognizing that obviously just 
you know, the son of two teachers, my wife and I are both teachers as well. I think you just kind of picked this up, right? That learning is a lifelong thing. You don't, you don't ever really turn it off. If you're, if you're a learner, you're a learner. That's just what you do. And I think Eric would, and I would categorize ourselves like that too, in that social media specifically, since we were talking about that before, has just opened up so many doors of new ways of thinking. Cause we're, our story's pretty cool. Like we, we competed in high school against each other. We, we still do as coaches. We're both from the Buffalo area. We're still in the Buffalo area. And sometimes you kind of get trapped in your space. And so to get out of that, I think for me, social media has allowed me to connect with people like you or connect with people like with Fast Model or talk to people from Guam, you know, and just get outside of our comfort zone. So I think that's such a cool point that you make that you're always willing to learn and learn from anyone. What has been your biggest struggle maybe um, with getting into college coaching, maybe two or three, two, one or two things that you've struggled with. And then maybe a couple of things that maybe you thought were going to be a struggle and you've just kind of seamlessly done it. I've talked about this, but just because I talked about it before, doesn't mean I'm great at it. <clears throat> it is the being as interested in the non X's and O's as you are in relationships and culture building. It's not that I, I, I'm not interested in those things. It's that I'm not as good at those things. Um, and I think for probably you to understand this when you're a teacher, I, I love teaching the game. I love, you know, teaching the drills. I love teaching the techniques. I love the individual workouts. <clears throat> I love the teaching side of things. I, I'm not always great at the, it's not that I'm bad at the relationships and I'm bad at the culture stuff. I just, I, I just don't know how to do it as well. I, I do better when I, when I read on about information, I know about how to do something and now I'm able to teach you how to do it. Um, you know, that's kind of what being a teacher is, but you know, establishing culture, um, you know, team building, that sort of thing. I, I, I know about it and I've seen others do it. I, I would be honest with you. I think that's why our head coach and I work really well together is that he is phenomenal in that. And it's not that he doesn't know X's and O's and doesn't know that other stuff, but he allows me, he's not a micromanager at all. And he allows me to do the other side of it. But I think both of us have kind of challenged each other's in the three or four years that we've been together to kind of get better at the things that we're not a, as good at. And so, yeah, I mean, that's kind of been a challenge to me, especially when I was younger. <clears throat> it was like what you guys just said. I, I was younger and I didn't necessarily have the same relationship with the players that I do now. I don't think that's a bad thing either. I know we, we teach younger coaches like you can't be their friends and you need to make sure that they respect you. And I do think that's important, but you can't you can't get over the fact that you're only four or five years older than them. Like you can't do anything to change that. And I don't necessarily think that you need to be afraid of that, like embrace that, embrace the fact that you can be their friend and that you can. And so early on for me, it was, it was being that kind of leader and coach and whatnot, not necessarily being too friendly with them. Um, I was mindful of it, but it, it still didn't change the fact that I was only five or six years older than them. But, you know, as, as I get older now, and as I told you before, as I, I'm valuing those other things as much or more than I am, how successful they are on the basketball court. Um, I've tried to get better at the the culture and investing in them and having having hard conversations with them and <clears throat> being willing to speak up and say something when I see something that isn't right in their life or 
um, something that they're doing that's unwise or whatever. And so that's probably the main thing that I've, I've struggled, if you want to use the word struggle, struggled with, but tried to get better at through the years. Yeah, it's a great answer, Coach. And uh, we were talking to a guest earlier and we were talking about the differences and the lack of leadership qualities and communication skills with our young athletes. Do you, um, do you believe that's something that should be integrated in, in public school or any kind of school district? And if you do, at what age? As far as, I'm as, sorry, what? As adding like a, a leadership class and a communication skill class. Yeah, I, I, I mean... I don't know. This is, again, a, probably a bigger conversation, but life skills is something that for a large part of kids' lives they don't get, which is kind of ironic because they're going to school for an education, but we're not actually educating them for life. We're just educating with them with a bunch of information that hopefully they can use in life. And so whether that is like some sort of leadership course or even life skills, I mean, how many kids graduate and don't know how to balance, make a budget or or, uh, you know, the old school thing was balancing a checkbook. I don't know if anybody uses a checkbook anymore, but right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Just kind of like yeah, life absolutely. skills. And I think a large part of that goes to that expands past just skills. Um, you know, both of you understand this, but like the leadership skills and life skills that, that are needed to be a, the right kind of husband, <laughs> the right kind of father. Um, for a lot of these young people, I got a great education because my father was great, was a great example. But you, we coach, we all coach kids who they don't even, they, they may not even have a father in their life. Um, so, so like who's going to teach them those things and who's going to communicate those things kind of goes back to the point that I was talking to you about, about this whole thing with it being my family's calling, not just mine. One of the big things that I've been very mindful of is I try to have my kids around as much as possible. And hopefully I'm not perfect, obviously at it, but like, hopefully I'm interacting with them right and well and i'm loving them and uh, i i just want to be an example to my players so they can see what it's like for a dad that loves their kids how they how he interacts with them and the kinds of things that he does with them and you know i want them to see those things and and i think just like you said i think too much we've ignored those through the years and we need to be much more intentional about teaching those kinds of things to our players our young men our young women so that they know what it, what it's actually supposed to look like, not what it looks like on a movie or maybe what they missed out in in their growing up years because of not having somebody around. Coach, I am just really inspired by our conversation right now. So I, I want to dig in a little bit more to the basketball side with your coach and the relationship there because Eric and I are really lucky enough, A, to have each other to bounce ideas off of, but also we both have really good staffs and people that work with us. What is that relationship like with your head coach? You know, you, you mentioned it's been a couple of years that you've worked together. Um, is there a good amount of give and take there? Have you, how have you communicated your roles? What is, what is that process been like working together with your head coach? I will say that it was an advantage that he and I, had, we had known each other for years before this. Uh, he ended up going a couple different places and coached at the high school level down in Georgia. Um, but even that was cool to see kind of overlap. We were in kind of the same areas of the country, just not at the same time. And so <clears throat> we had similarities and we, we liked the same coaches growing up. Um, and so when he came in, it was it was pretty seamless just because we were already comfortable with each other beforehand. So it, it didn't take like a year or two for me to get to know him or get to figure him out or whatever. And he kind of knew my skills a little bit. 
he had already been familiar with the program and that sort of thing. Um, there may be somebody that's listening to this and like, well, I don't have that advantage. I don't know the person. Yeah, but you can take the time to get to know that person. And so I think the advantage was for us, we knew each other and already had taken that time to get to know each other. Um, you know, I've made it very clear to him and he, I mean, he knows this. I don't know if I've even ever said this before, but like, I'm not coming for his job. I'm not looking to use this as a stepping stone somewhere else. Um, you know, I'm trying to just kind of invest and do the best I can in the, in the situation that I have. Um, and so I think there's just one word that he says very frequently and I, his words, not mine, but I do try to be this. I try to be extremely loyal to him. Um, and so there is just that trust and that relationship that we have with each other <clears throat> that makes the, the the coaching side of it just so much easier. I mean, he he says this, but, you know, outside of his wife, he'll share some things with me sometimes that he doesn't share with his wife just because he doesn't want to bog her down with things. But we're, we're willing to talk about things, frustrations that we have or <clears throat> that kind of thing. And so just like you two, I mean, we're friends beyond just being coaching on the same staff together. Um, and so whether that's the roles that we have or whatever, he, he doesn't care one bit if I speak up at practice when he's trying to do something, <clears throat> you know, I know when is a good time to speak up and when isn't a good time to speak up. Um, we share responsibilities at one point when we first started, like he was like, here, you just take the defense and I'll do the offense. Um, since that time we haven't like officially switched, but <clears throat> he'll do some defensive stuff. I'll do some offensive stuff. It just kind of, has transformed over the years to we're not we're not looking we're not envious of each other or jealous of each other and so we just we just enjoy working together um and so i think when you can be as an assistant coach when you can be loyal to your head coach when <clears throat> they know you have their back when um you know he's very he's not a micromanager so he'll give me something to do and he doesn't mess with it on the flip side of that, I care about him, and I know that there's a lot of stuff that he deals with that isn't basketball-related. By the way, those of you that are head coaches, you know this. But, like, <laughs> how much of how much of your coaching is actually coaching basketball and how much of it is dealing with a whole bunch of other stuff? Um, and I'm aware of that, and I know that. And so there will be a lot of times where I just make decisions where if it was somebody from the outside looking in, they think, what, what's he trying to do? He's trying to just – he's pretty assertive. He's trying to just take things over. He's trying to do the head coach's job. And, you know, Burton knows that that's not the case. He knows that I'm just making a decision because I know that he doesn't want to either want to deal with it or have the time to deal with it. And it's not something that bothers him. So I just make the decision for him. And so I think just trying to anticipate your head coach's needs, um, you know, genuinely caring about the other person, all those things that I think are obvious, but they go a long way if you actually mean them. Yeah, great answer, Coach, and thanks for sharing that. Um, my question to you is, since you have joined forces, I guess you could say, with the coaching staff and been together, um, what's one thing you could put your finger on that you've seen the game evolve and your way of looking at the game has changed through the time together? You know, maybe something like positionless basketball, how you defend pick and roll. Let's let's talk X's and O's for one minute with you here. Yeah, let's get a little bit of that. We have primarily changed our offense to more of a conceptual offense. Um, you know, for years, everybody always says, well, we want to teach our players how to play. We don't just want to teach them plays. And for a lot of coaches, they still don't know how to do that. They want to do that, but they don't necessarily know how to do that. 
Um, and so, you know, what we do offensively is nothing we came up with. Like everything else that I've learned, I've stolen <laughs> from somebody else. Yeah. We're um, great thieves, but, aren't we? Yeah, absolutely. So I think just kind of that idea of kind of playing more out of concept than necessarily playing out of uh, some sort of continuity or running plays or whatever. Um, and it's not that those things don't have a place in the game. It's just that for us, again, trying to teach our players how to play, um, that's probably been the biggest way on the defensive side. I think, you know, as the games evolved and it's been more pick and roll or spacing to create gaps so that people can drive, trying to think about how to take those things away and how to defend those. Um, we're at a, we're at a school that we're a provisional D three school. And so you're at a school that small school We're we're a Christian school. So we're, you're the pools even smaller than, um, you know, there are other great schools around here. And so for us, it's always been, how can we, <clears throat> what can we do to kind of give us that advantage or to make up ground where we're going to lose on having a kid that's six, six or, uh, having a point guard who's so much faster than everybody or having a kid that can shoot 40% from three, like what can we do <clears throat> to, to help these kids have at least some sort of advantage or some sort of some way to narrow the gap, I guess is what I'm saying. So, you know, whether that's, I, I do watch a lot of basketball, whether that's NBA or college, I'll watch international stuff too. And the things that, <clears throat> that those places are doing, I'm early to adopt them. I don't care if they're proven at, by other colleges at my level. I have been, I, I've tried to, when everybody, when nobody was, was downing or icing ball screens, I was downing and, and icing ball screens at the, at the very beginning. Um, just because if it was something different, I think that's again, basketball, I would encourage coaches to think about this. Much of what we do is what our coach did because he won some championships and so we'll do it too. <clears throat> and what he did was what his coach did and so on and so forth. And again, there's nothing wrong with that. But I've tried not to be like that and to think out of the box and to to learn from others who obviously know a whole lot more than I do and be willing to to do the new or do what others aren't doing. Yeah, I think that's such a crucial point. And I think we were speaking on this a little earlier about, you know, I think you nailed it. You, you coach typically what you've been taught um, unless you're a lifelong learner. And if you're innovative and can get outside of yourself, I think that's where Eric and I just over these last couple of months of being shut indoors are constantly bouncing ideas. Like, did you see this? Did you see this? Cause it's nothing that we were ever taught um, as players. And if you get a job as a younger player and you don't have a mentor, you really got to seek that stuff out. And I've been in super intrigued by this conceptual stuff. Um, you know, not necessarily running continuity or set plays, but teaching from a conceptual standpoint. And so I would love, and I don't know if any of our listeners are there yet, maybe this will pique their interest, but if you were to like break that down for, for me as a, like a new person, just trying to understand that, what would be like two or three, a couple more, if you need to key ideas for teaching conceptually, like what would be like, um, not the mission statement, but like the synopsis of teaching conceptually. What do you mean when you say that? Explain yeah. it to us like we're 12. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah. It, it probably won't sound that impressive. Uh, most people that hear it are like, well, we already do that, but they don't. Um, that They may do like versions of it or things that are that have semblance of it. Um, you know, there are different different ways to teach it, primarily for us. Um, it goes back to the spacing is offense and offense is spacing. Uh, if you look at the game today, it's a lot of spread the floor and make a play. 
Uh, people that don't necessarily study the game a whole lot think that that just means uh, one player, you spread the floor and then you go one-on-one and score, and that's not what it means either. So basically for us, we are trying to create space on the floor through different actions, cuts, um, and make it very difficult, so allowing the, the ball handler to play in space, but making very, making it very difficult, or another way to put it is to punish the defense anytime that they help or attempt to stop whatever action we're doing. So, I mean, the simplest way is, um, you know, I, I heard you had Brent on from from over there in Guam, and I think he described the the big advantage and small advantage. Yeah, so that's a great I, job. I, we're trying to create as many big and small advantages on the floor as possible. And the primary way that you do that is through creating space on the floor. And you create space on the floor a lot of times either through screening, that's direct ball screening, blur screens, um, cuts that open up large portions of the floor. And for us, primarily, it's been a whole lot of player development. Being able to play, we do a ton of small-sided games, so we teach a lot of small-sided games, and we do drills. We just had a practice today, and I think I did about five or six sessions, so about six minutes each of small-sided games. Um, We didn't even play five-on-five today. We just played small-sided games, three-on-three, four-on-four, that kind of thing. But the whole point was for players to learn how to space the floor, to make decisions, so reading, reading their primary defender, reading secondary defenders, um, reading help defenders, where should I make the right pass? How is this player playing me? Being ready to catch and shoot right away. Um, finishes at the basket, which finish do I use? So it's a lot of decision making. It's a lot of finishing. It's a lot of, of skill work, being able to shoot from outside. And it's a lot of creating space. That's probably the the four, I guess is what I just mentioned, four or five tenants. Yeah. I, I would say, man, I stop them all the time. I don't want to stop them, but these are teachable moments and we can talk about some things. How hard is it to just kind of sit back and let them make these mistakes and let them learn from it on their own? Well, I'll be honest. I I think one of the biggest things that has helped when you're playing three on three and you're basically possession. So we've got we've got on our team right now, 18 guys, which I know not everybody has 18 guys on your team. But let's say that you have how many do you all carry? 12, 12 or 13. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So let's just. Let's just pretend that you carried 12. So you've got three teams or four teams of three. So it's three on three. And while that's happening, two teams are standing on the side. But the possession really only lasts about six to eight seconds. And as soon as that possession's over, if you score, you stay. Well, there's a new defense that comes on. Well, while that's happening, I'm, I'm mentioning something that I just saw to the players that were just on the floor. And they're getting so many reps. And I think that's the main thing that coaches don't necessarily think about. When I'm playing five on five and I'm talking and then they're they're doing something and then I'm going to give them another point, then they're doing it again. Much of the teaching and explanation is coming from me, which for the three of us, we're used to because we grew up like this and we do it a lot in our classrooms. You're the teacher. You stand up in front. You give them information. They get smarter. Like that's just <laughs> that's education. Right. But I think we all understand that this day and age, that's not what good education is. Good education is you get lots of lots and lots of reps and they learn on their own. I mean, it goes back to like the learning principle. When do you learn best? Do you learn best when somebody tells you the right way to do it and you go out and do it one time? Or do you learn best when I maybe give you some principles and let you go out and you try it and you basically learn it on your own? It has a much more lasting impression on your mind and in your skill if you do it. 
And so these small-sided games, I'm able to basically give them a whole lot of reps. And when they mess up, I don't, I don't really care because, yeah, I'll mention something to them. I'll say something to them. But they're going to get five or six or 10 or 15 more reps before this drill is open over. And if they just keep making the same mistake over and over and over, I mean, doing the same thing over and over without good results is just insanity, right? Like <laughs> your players are going to figure it out. They're not stupid. So I think it's just putting them in opportunities to succeed and make mistakes, but giving them the chance to learn it on their own. It's that guided approach to teaching where I'm, I'm putting them in situations where they have to learn. If they don't learn, then they, they, they probably shouldn't be playing anyways, right? Right. So, Coach, I, thank you. I appreciate you going into that. I mean, I feel like I could sit here and chat for two more hours just to kind of pull some of this information out of you. So one last thing, and I don't want to keep you too long. So one last thing, and then we'll kind of close up here. But so when you're playing this conceptual stuff in terms of like in the game action, are you designating, you know, like locations on the floor that you kind of want to initiate this action is it free flowing how are you creating these gaps are you just letting them randomly like play it out or you kind of setting them up for a start and then you kind of flow out of that yeah there i mean there are starting points and there, like anything else you want to kind of there are some restraints so that it isn't mass chaos that's the other thing i think some people think well if i'm just it kind of goes to the joke that we used to say, the coach that just rolls the ball out and the best talent wins. <clears throat> That's not it either. There are there are some restraints and there are some things. But I'll say this, whether it's continuity offense or set plays, aren't there in any offensive set play or continuity offense, aren't there a lot of if-thens? If this happens, then this, right? Well, it's the same thing in conceptual offense. There are still if-thens, but there are a whole fewer amount of if-thens. You know, if I say to you, we're going to try to maintain spacing, then these are the way we're going to do it. We're going to do it and we're going to try to create advantages. So maintain spacing and create advantages. We're going to use blur screens. You're going to play with the man next to you. That's another phrase that we use a lot. So if the ball is being driven at me, I don't run at the ball because if I run at the ball, then I take my defender and I run into him. Instead, I space out to the wing or space out to the corner or whatever. (coughs) There are. There are if-thens, but it actually eliminates the amount of if-thens so players actually don't have to think as much. And I think that's the key. <clears throat> Once you get a player that's starting to think, he slows down. And when he slows down, he doesn't operate to maximum maximum opportunity, right? So I, I want them thinking less and playing more. Yeah, Coach, I, I am – on board with that paralysis by analysis is what we say to our guys. Like if you're thinking way too much, make the simple play and just kind of move on to move the ball on to the easy decision. Uh, listen, you have been super gracious with your time. We appreciate it. So we'll kind of close up here. Um, listen, anything we can do, obviously we love what you do on social media, which is why we reached out. But if we can do anything to serve moving forward, uh, just let us know, but thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, I was going to say, he certainly practiced what he preaches. We found him through social <laughs> media, and he's got uh, he just puts out great content. So, uh, you know, we celebrate you for that, Coach, and we're, we're watching and uh, keep it up for us. I appreciate you guys having me on. It was great talking with you. All Anytime. Right, Have a good one. Thank you. Thank you. If you have an existing podcast or are looking to launch your own pod but aren't sure where to start, 
the team at My Podcast Manager can help. Our podcast team works behind the scenes so you can do what you do best. We'll help you launch your podcast, make it sound great, and free up your time for the more enjoyable parts of podcasting. If you're ready to put your podcast editing, production, and promotion on autopilot with a trusted team of podcasting professionals, visit MyPodcastManager.com to get started. Thank you for listening to the Beyond the Ball podcast with Coach Eric Klump and Coach Justin Gersten. 